Now playing Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. Hello, good people, and welcome to the podcast Movie Reviews in 20 Qs, the show where we review a movie by asking 20 weird and wonderful questions about it. And in honour of the fact that Inception is turning 10 last month, and the fact that Christopher Nolan has another film coming out, we've decided to go back in time and throw 20 questions at the film Inception. And to do such an amazing film, wow, well, you've got to go out there and find an amazing woman, and when they don't answer your phone calls, you've basically got to get Liz. So Liz, how are you? Sam, you are like the worst person in the history of time. Have I ever told you that? Yes, many, many times. Mostly yeah, in my okay. nightmares. So, shut up. But how are you, Liz? Um, yeah, I am pretty good, thank you. I have a ridiculously busy weekend, so I think that you should be grateful to me that I've decided to guest on your show and pull in all of my fans for you. Oh, something exciting about this episode, you've brought along a friend, haven't you? I have. I have friends, guys. It's very exciting that I have a friend other than Sam, who's really just a well-wisher and that he doesn't wish me any specific harm. Uh, yeah, no, um, today I'm invited along my friend uh, here in Australia. Uh, his name is Nathan. And I'll let him say hello. I, I feel like we're talking about him like he isn't even here. How are I you, know, man? I realized that when I was talking. I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for inviting me into this conversation and letting <laughs> me guest star on your show. This is, this is wonderful. As you can tell, I'm Canadian. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd just bring a transatlantic view to the movies that you're not getting. You know, you uh, literally are our first Canadian that we've ever had on the show. I was well, going to ask. I thought it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, thank you for that. Thank you for having Canadian first. Uh, we might have seen things a little differently up north. So we'll yeah, see. You might have seen it before us. It probably came out like six months later in New Zealand. <laughs> six and, years later, you know, we you don't. Since <laughs> since we don't have any like electricity or anything, like they had to like run the. You had to like cycle to watch it to make the electricity work. So it kept cutting out. <laughs> And they didn't have to explain the movie after to you guys. You probably uh, just assume that you understood it. Oh, wait, I, I thought it, you were calling us dumb, but actually I think you're calling you dumb. Yeah, that's, that's the way we are back home. We're, we're pretty modest. We call ourselves dumb. Oh, that sounds Just like watch any is. Canadian show. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. Uh, so Inception, guys, uh, you guys big fans? Uh, fans when this came yeah. out? Any, any initial thoughts, remembering when it came out or anything? I barely remembered anything about it, so I knew that I had to watch it again, and I'm glad I did, because it was, it was really good. Like, that shouldn't be a shock. I'm, is there anyone who doesn't like it? So, yeah. Yeah, for me, I think I'd say it was stellar. Not interstellar. <laughs> better than interstellar. <laughs> I see what he so did there. Stellar. You know, I have two sets, so I'm still old-fashioned. I still buy some uh, media, and so I've got 4K movies, and there's one set for... Christopher Nolan films and one set for Stanley Kubrick films because they both, you know, they're both filmed so well that they're going to stand the test of time. Whenever, whatever comes out, it's just like rebuying the uh, White Album. Whatever medium it comes out on, you got to buy it. I'm there with you, Nate, man. I can tell we're cut from the same cloth. Uh, yeah, so Inception, just going to run through a couple of the sort of technical details about it. Directed by Christopher Nolan, as we mentioned, had a budget of $160 million, went on to gross $868 million worldwide. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Alan Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Dilip Rowe, Killian Murphy, Shilly Murphy, Silly Murphy, whatever, Tom Berger, Marion Cotillard, Pete Postlewaite, Michael Caine, and Lucas Haas. And yeah, basic plot of the film is that Dom Cobb, who's played by Leo, is a thief with the rare ability to enter people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconsciousness. His skill has made him a hot commodity in the world of corporate espionage, but has also cost him everything he loves, which is his wife Mal. Cobb gets a chance at redemption when he is offered a seemingly impossible task, plant an idea in someone else's mind. If he succeeds, it will be the perfect crime, but a dangerous enemy anticipates Cobb's every move. 
I don't know if I really agree with that. That's the last time we get a plot summary of some random dude on IMDb. Yeah, that was a shitty last line. <laughs> I would have summed it up way better. So there's a really hot dude in this movie, and everyone should just come see it for that. And then there's some cool visual effects. There we go. There's, there's Liz's plot. I should have thrown it over to you, Liz. I said I'd throw it over to you. I'm, I'm sorry. I completely forgot about that. But looking at the rest, IMDb have it scored at 8.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes is at 87%, and Metacritic has it 74%. Quite surprising. Yeah. But uh, we're going to give our scores in a second. If Basically, first, a little, first, a little bit of a rundown. If you haven't heard this podcast before, what we do is we review a movie by asking 20 weird and wonderful questions about it. We start with 10 that can be applied to any film. The first of which is the compliment sandwich, which is one thing good, one thing bad, and one thing good about this film. Unless you want to give it a shit sandwich, in which case you give one thing bad, one thing good, and one thing bad about this film. Now, Liz, why don't you lead us off? Why don't you start us off this week? I will, because um, my first compliment I actually just brought up. Surprisingly, it is not the hot man. I'll get to that. Uh, It is, in fact, the visual effects. I had forgotten how good this movie looked, like all the different cool things that they did, like when they were sitting at the cafe and all the different things blow up for like really slowly. And I just thought, man, that's cool. I really like how they did that. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my negative thing is probably that I, f- I felt like it was overly complex. I don't quite know what you'd cut or how you'd make it slightly less complex or something, but I just felt there were a couple of places. I was just thought, oh, you're being a bit clever here. You're trying to be clever. So that would be my uh, negative thing. My second compliment would be the casting, like big names and really good acting and the incredibly hot man who I will now admit is, in fact, Tom Hardy, who I believe I've actually brought up on multiple podcasts. (laughs) You might have thought it was Leonardo DiCaprio. I feel like that was the obvious choice. I know you. I did like Leonardo DiCaprio back in the day, but there's something about Tom Hardy in this film, girls and guys who are interested. I'm still disappointed you didn't say Michael Caine. Uh, okay. Yeah, same. You can like Michael Caine. There's no judgment here, Nick. But uh, yeah, I, I I prefer the dudes that are a little bit more youthful. I, I knew. I could guess. I could guess if you, Liz. I knew that you wanted to Tom his Hardy. It was obvious. It was very, very or Hardy as yeah. Tom. I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> what about as a score out of ten thousand dreams? Yeah, I like I said, I really like this film. So I think I'm going to give it eight thousand. 913 dreams. Cool. On to you, yes. Nate. Okay. So I went a different direction than Liz. I uh, don't like Thomas Hardy. I don't oh, like Thomas Hardon. Yeah. What a great actor. Yeah. He's wonderful. <laughs> I'm sure he does give you one. Anyway. You know, ever since uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, Tom Hardy will always be a classic actor uh, to me. But I, I shall digress back into the question. Boring. Okay. My good point was your bad point. I said the complexity. There's four overlapping stories or. Four or five, I can't even remember how many levels of dreams they were in, but there's, they were tying up four levels of uh, timelines that were going at different speeds, different levels. I thought that was the highlight. That was the whole basis of the movie. It was complex. This is back in 2010 because, you know, we barely had Google back then and we're trying to understand what the hell was going on. And there's infographics explaining all this stuff and everybody was trying to, you know, figure this out so ages ago. But uh, that was, amazing. like, I thought it was good. Maybe you're just smarter than me. Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't say I totally understood it. Like, they had to explain it to us at the end of the movie, I told you. All right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Canadians. I mean, I think we all know I'm the smartest here, but, you know, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> yeah, sure. Never. Anyway. Never. <laughs> Moving Shut on. Your... What's your okay, name? my bad point was, uh, you know, I'm glad that you reminded me his wife's name was Mal, because I kept calling her Mode through all my uh, answers, because I, I thought, you know, I thought that the Mode storyline is uh, was just boring i thought she was dull you know i was just glad when 
you know, I, I, did he put a, a bullet in her head? I can't remember, but uh, I, I was like, oh, it's just, I don't need, I don't need this. She's boring. Hot. Yeah. Um. My my last good point was Hans Zimmer, the soundtrack. Yep. I think that that stood out like the fog horn in the trailer and the in the movie. Like that was all talked about when it was released, and uh, you know the Hans Zimmer soundtrack just added an extra edge to edge to it. I remember so. when you just said Hans Zimmer, I was like. The bad guy from Die Hard, but then no, that's Hans Gruber. <laughs> Hans Gruber. You were fully Stacy on this episode, Liz. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> just my brain was just like, what? <laughs> Too confusing. Hans Gruber, got it. <laughs> I like Tom Hardy. <laughs> well, I do like Tom Hardy. I'm just saying. And bonus points for Tom Hardy. Sure. What the, what the hell? Well, what's your score out of 10,000 then, Nate? Uh, I would give it like. 8,756. I think it's a good movie. I, I don't even think it has many flaws. You know, Leo annoyed me. He, he was just so neurotic through the whole thing. I'm like, just, you know, I don't think he smiled once through the whole movie. And, no. uh, like, just get a hold of yourself, mate. <laughs> I think that was meant to be a New Zealand accent or an Australian one. I'm not no, sure. No, no, that, that wasn't was, great either way. That was, that was an East Coast Canada. Between the both. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my first good thing is it's visually stunning. We'll get into it a little bit later, but there's, there's a scene that looks like it's special effects, looks like it's CGI, but it's not. And there's like the, just Christopher Nolan's just use practical effects to create these stunning environments. I could wax poetical for ages, and it's obvious in my voice how, how passionate I am about how visually stunning this is. Now, my next thing is going to be my great thing, because I'm introducing a new rule, right? If no. There's a new rule called the hyperbole sandwich which is if you give something a score over ten thousand, you get to give one good thing one great thing and one good thing because clearly i'm fucking in love with this film it's one of my favorite films of all time it's probably my top 20 so my great thing is the story fuck you liz the story is fucking amazing i'm not saying i didn't like the story no that's what i'm saying like um i have written down like i thought it was really clever the, the way that they developed the plan for the dreams and everything and how it all fell together i just felt there were a couple of bits that i I was really struggling to come up with a bloody, like, insult. What do you want? That's the best exactly. I could do. That's why I'm giving it the hyperbole sandwich. I'm fucking, yeah, like, right. da- doubling down on this shit. Final good thing is just acting. Like, from start to finish, there's not a dull performance from any of the actors in this film. Probably the worst performance is Tom Berenger playing Browning, like his father-in-law, yeah. or, you know, like his father's best friend or his uncle or godfather, whoever the fuck he was. Uh, but, I mean, he was a small, minute character. But, like, Tom Hardy crushes. Yeah, he uh, does. He's not his usual character. Like, I was quite surprised at his character. Even, like, mm. Joseph Gordon-Levin, Ellen Page, these are people that, like, I wouldn't rush mm. out and see their films, but in this, they crushed it. And you're right about Marion Cotillard. She's probably one of the, the lesser things about this film, but still, I love Marion Cotillard. I can't say a bad thing about her. So, yeah, my score out of 10,000 is, like, 15,000. You're cheating, but I'll allow it. No, no, no. I, I'd this accept is this. This, is a, yeah. uh, this rule has been created because of uh, Topher from We Watch The Thing, who very kindly lent us some recording gear for today. So thank you, Topher. But Topher also pointed out recently when Stacey gave Wizard of Oz 10,000 and then said a bad thing, he then he said, you can't give a movie a bad thing if it's a square out of 10,000. So there you well, go, yeah. Topher. Just because of you, we're thanking you for letting us record your gear and we've introduced this new rule to say, fuck you, Topher. Here's the hyperbole sandwich. Here's how we get around it. Fair enough. It- and he is going to listen to this one because I specifically told him he had to. So, hi. <laughs> that moves us over to question number two, which is the first of our Patreon questions. These are questions that you, our lovely listeners, who choose to be our $5 a month Patreon, give us to uh, read out in the first 10. And this one comes courtesy of Chris Yeeney. Now, what's this question there, Liz? All right. Question two is, 
What song would you have inserted into this film, and where and why? I'll just go with explaining why I picked the song, though. And where, where and why, I'll have to think about that as I go. So I picked Radiohead's Everything in Its Right Place, because, you know, these four, or whatever it is, complex storylines being tied up. It's like a Rubik's Cube being solved, you know? So, yeah, there's nothing more to it than that. You know, it's just... Uh, yeah, it kind of went along with the soundtrack as yeah, well. Yeah, Radiohead's got that moody, evocative kind of vibe. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It, it would obviously be somewhere at the end, but I think it just goes along with the whole movie theme itself, you know? Uh, for yeah. me, I, I, liked the, I liked how they started playing that classical music that sort of brought them out of their dream. And so that's where I went for my one, which would have been a, rather than have it in like sort of an upbeat uh, major chord, which is, uh, I'd rather have the song sort of transpose into a minor chord, so it's kind of like sort of low and haunting. And that would be Shelley's uh, time to say goodbye, you know, just like as an idea of like time to say goodbye to that dream sort of thing. Something just sort of like sweet playing in the background. None, none of the singing or anything like that. Just this like sort of musical interlude in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a beautiful piece as well. Yeah, good choice. I, I think that's good. Yeah, um, actually, mine is kind of similar, but not because I would have chosen the exact same spot because I liked that music, but I thought the only way you could have made it slightly more um, obvious. Uh, was to go with Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Because <laughs> you could have had the, uh, we've just got to get out, we've just got to get right out of here. See, it fit perfectly. Reason 7092 <laughs> that we don't make movies. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Right? Shut up. Okay, well, I thought that could be kind of entertaining and everybody loves Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, so shut up. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're over to right. question number three. What is it then, Nate? So the question was, what deep philosophical debate arose in you during this film? Yeah, having seen this film quite a few times, I mean, there's the obvious ones of like how how would you cope dealing with being trapped in that sort of like limbo realm for fifty odd years, like him and her were, and like how would you try and formulate a way out of it? Well, that sort of stuff. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty standard for this. So I, I went I went a little bit more different. And right at the start of the film, we see them in a train in Japan, and they've, they've entered into Sato's dreams, and they're trying to fish them out, and he realizes what's going on, and he fights them off, and all this other stuff. But before they, like, leave him, they basically just leave this Japanese kid and say, hey, goodbye or whatever. And, like, he wakes up and he sees the Japanese kid. My deep philosophical debate is, if I was that Japanese kid and a whole bunch of whiteies came wandering into my cabin and were like, hey, we're just going to drag this dude and we're going to go into his dreams and at the end we're going to give you some money. Like, would I sit there and take it? Like, would I sit there and take the payment? Or would I I be like, get the fuck out of here? What the fuck is going on? Well, you wouldn't know what they, they were doing, right? You'd Like, you wouldn't know they were in his dreams. Okay, so okay, you so that was a well-known thing or something. Are, are you trying to tell me you'd be okay if you're sitting in a cabin as a like a like teenage boy, and then a whole bunch of dudes came in, start pulling out all this machinery, knock out a dude, and then start hooking him up to the machinery, and they say, "Hey, we're going to give you some money." You'd be like, "Oh, yes, we does." No, I'd be very concerned because I'd be a teenage <laughs> boy, <laughs> which I have never been. <laughs> no, um, not yet. Depends on how much money. There we go. Easily bought. Yep. Feel free to give me money, people. What about you, Liz? Yeah, so I am a like a terrible insomniac and um i find it really hard to get to sleep a lot of the time and when i do get to sleep i have insane dreams like um, i have dreams about alien invasions tsunamis and all sorts of stuff and it's exhausting and so when i was watching this film they were talking about how they went into that sleep to dream they went into the room where there was uh, like all those people who he put under and they specifically were there so they could dream and then they could be woken up right and i was like I would rather the opposite. If I could go somewhere and I could be guaranteed dreamless sleep every night, I would take it. But then I was like, but would you? Because most of my dreams are really annoying and exhausting. There's one or two that aren't so bad. 
So like, would I really want to give up the good things for the bad things? But I think I would. Hey, if you want some dreamless sleep, mm-hmm. this, is, this thing that's amazing, it's called alcoholism, and it gives you the best dreamless sleeps. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like the ha- uh, hangovers in the morning. You yeah. can't get a hangover if you stay drunk the whole time. Just sleep with a bottle of vodka by your bed is the trick. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind as an option, Sam. I'm a <laughs> little bit afraid of your daughter right now, but <laughs> at least you have one responsible adult in your house. Absolutely. What about you, Nate? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I uh, I kind of thought that it was like a question like the Matrix. Are we are we in the Matrix or um? Oh, the possibility you know, that our, we're all just in another simulation. Are are we in limbo? You know, right now, are we in a simulation? Are we sleep? Something like that. Well, the world um, does seem pretty fucked up right now. But you know what I was I was thinking? We have all these uh, subliminal, you know, messages being passed to us to buy stuff, and you know, conspiracies of like, uh, you know, do this. This messaging that we, we don't even realize that we're, you know, following, then we want to go and purchase something. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Real life inception. Yeah. Moves us over to our next Patreon question, which comes courtesy of the amazing man, there's Dave Baker. Dave has his own Patreon at patreon.com forward slash your favorite. On it, he posts a ton of awesome content you should all go check out. Like, oh, what's Dave got on there? He's got YouTube video essays, written essays, uh, YouTube recommendations, pro samples. He's got a ton of stuff on there. You should all go check it out. And what Dave would like to know this week is which two characters from this film would you guys want with you at your house party? Uh, Tom clearly Hardy. One, yeah, can I just have <laughs> two of Tom Hardy? Is that a thing? Like, You want Tom Hardy in the real life and Tom Hardy the dream man where he can change into a yeah, woman and an old can dude? Can I do that? All that well, uh, yeah. No, I'd keep him as both. But like, I quite like, like, I like Tom Hardy just as Tom Hardy, but I, I liked his character in this film. I think he'd be fun at a party. Like, He seemed like yeah. the most lighthearted, kind of chilled out one. So, um, yeah, I would just take two of Tom Hardy. And if you get to do, like, a hyperbole sandwich, well, then I get to choose two Tom Hardys. Fair enough. What about you, Nate? Yeah. Well, I also chose uh, Tom Hardy, you know, probably not for the same reasons as Liz. <laughs> like, I'd like to actually have him with a shirt on at the barbecue. <laughs> Why? I guess because we're, we're having a barbecue in my in my dream with Tom Hardy and Michael Caine. I, I put down uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but um, I changed that to Michael Caine when I was you know, just thinking right now. Well, Arthur, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's <laughs> character, he was just quite... Like, serious. And yeah. be as fun as Michael Caine. Michael Caine's always going to be entertaining. It doesn't matter what character he plays. This is like the, you know, the grandfather figure, Alfred. Yeah. So, like, comforting just having them there, having a beer with him. He can have yeah. a shirt off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can totally have a shirt off. Absolutely. You've kind of swayed me around. To stop him. <laughs> to Michael swayed... Caine or to Tom Hardy? No, nah, to Michael Caine. I, I, I had Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tom Hardy down as well. Just because they have, like, a, an awesome sort of relationship in this film where they're constantly just like vibing off each other and like tom hardy's pretty much just dunking on him the whole time like making him look stupid and shit like that and they're always arguing and i thought that was like oh, pretty true. fun but but at the same time like that gets tiresome man i've been around dudes like that they have beef against each other and they just spend their entire nights just trying to get one up on each other and invariably ends up with someone like on fire or someone going to the hospital or some shit like it's usually fucking bad news see so, yeah, michael kane michael kane he, he is he's just so lovely and like reassuring and you know, you start yeah. losing your shit. He'll be there to calm people down and stuff. He's that sort of dude. He's never not calm. If he exactly. can calm down Batman, then what can he do? <laughs> to be honest, Sam, exactly. I'm surprised you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't choose the um, the man with the uh, fun liquids to try, like uh, Yusuf, with all of his uh, concoctions. I've left that part behind me, Liz. I'm a different man. Moves <laughs> uh, yeah. over to question number five. What is it, there, Liz? Okay, uh, what is your most controversial opinion about this film? Okay, I would say, I, I think I mentioned this before, um, 
some of the characters just didn't stick with me, you know. I I couldn't remember his wife's name, you know. It's I call it, kept calling her Maud, and I'll still say that Maud was useless in my in my books. And uh, that storyline, just that, ah, you know, whatever. That's that's, but that's about as critical as I can get for the movie. Like it's just maybe I'm basing that against some of his other movies and uh, mm. some of the other characters. That well, Sam before. would at least disagree with you because he loves Marion Cotter. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I don't love her in this film. And you're right, like. There was too many characters in this that had no real backstory to them. Like, what was Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing there helping him out? You know, like, Tom Hardy's someone they oh, yeah. recruited. And that sort of blends in, in a lot of ways, to my controversial opinion, is that, like, everyone, like, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but at the end, when, Mike, when Leonardo DiCaprio gets off the plane and is, like, doing all these knowing nods and smiles and shit to the rest of his team, they should be fucking furious with him by this point. He's taken them <laughs> into this dream world didn't tell them about Maul. Didn't tell them about the fact that if they die, they don't just immediately come out of this dream world. He's telling none of this shit. They should be staring at him like, fuck you, you fucking asshole. You must fucking ruin my life. Like, fuck that guy. Yeah, anyway. I totally understand. And and I was thinking the same thing. Like, wouldn't you be pissed off if you were brought yeah. down to near death in four levels of the most complicated situation? I'm just watching it gives me anxiety. No wonder they're all pissed off in the movie. I would, I would hate the guy. I would go up and knock him out. Exactly. But, Whereas he just wanders out of the airport, just like <laughs> off to see my kids. Oh, but you can't. You wouldn't yeah. want to knock him out on an American plane because then you'd be like tasered and thrown in Guantanamo or something. So <laughs> you'd have to at least wait till he left the airport before you. Could yeah, then knock him out in front of his fucking kids. That's the one. Yeah, that's a better way to do it. Uh, <laughs> Run him over with a car coming for your face. <laughs> so uh, my controversial opinion, I'm pretty sure you guys will be annoyed at. So I um, think it's nicely controversial. Is that um, I. I didn't like the final dream as much as maybe the other two. Like I felt like I get that the white of the snow and stuff was visually stunning, but it made it quite confusing for me to, if they'd been dressed differently, like the baddies and the goodies, that would have been helpful. But I kept going, wait, is that Tom Hardy? Oh yeah. Oh no. But then it's no, that's one of the uh, projections and stuff. I just felt like there could have been something a bit more colorful. So you needed, you basically saying that you needed to know who you're getting horny over. That was the problem, right? No, they're wearing like, too oh, many God, clothes. Did he die? And then I'm like, no, 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 he's outside doing the thing. So shut up. And also, <laughs> yes, but shut up. But th- it had to be dark like that. This was like Christopher Nolan's Bond film with a Bond base and uh, you know a Bond setup. Something. Bleak. Yeah, I didn't get any yeah, of that. Absolutely, they, they should have. They, the baddies could have been wearing like brown or like green or something just to make it clearer. Okay, that's my controversial. But it would have made more scenes. And that's what I love about well, this is like the fact that they do all wear the same. They're like, because they're in the snow, like they're going to wear camouflage. They're not going to wear like fucking bright pink neon yeah, or something. But some they're not shit. all going to wear the same camouflage. Yeah, they are. It's army issue. Yeah. Uh, what, what army? The mind army, the one that the guy put in there. Oh, that's right. You didn't <laughs> understand. No. So, yeah, the mind army, I got that. They all should have worn the same. But then why was, why was like the good guys all wearing the same as the bad guys? So you, you basically wanted Tom Hardy shirtless in the snow. Yes. Just around <laughs> with like a pair of short shorts to. or some shit. <laughs> basically, yes. Liz just wanted a dream level where they're all walking around in budgie smugglers drinking <laughs> Mai Tais. Not all. Lining Tom up. Hardy. On a large bed, feeding you chocolate and wine. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing why I wouldn't give up dreaming forever. Because if I could dream that, that's not so bad. Liz is with Michael Caine at the side there saying, if you dream it, you can do it, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Cheer, like, cheering them all on. I'm sure I could dream quite an array of things when it comes to Tom Hardy. <laughs> quite an array. Moves us over to the next of our Patreon questions, which comes courtesy of the amazing woman that is Emily Higgins. 
Uh, Emily runs the Tasters podcast, a podcast in which she takes a movie that everybody loves, says is kind of shit, or, you know, it's, it's good, everyone loves it, and compares it to another film that doesn't get the praises that she thinks it deserves. And what would Emily like to know there, Nate? Which side character would make for the best spin-off movie? I feel like we've talked about him way too much, so I almost want to scrap my answer, which was Tom Hardy, <laughs> and I'm going to. I'm going to go with Ellen Page. Ellen Page has got some... Yeah, I'm going to take your answers. You talk about Tom Hardy the whole time, I'm going to take your answers. I can see it in your eyes. You love Alan Page. I know you love Alan Page. I'm going with Alan Page. Alan Page, I'm on that page. Yeah, what would the movie be about, though? Because I don't think your movie would have been the same as my movie. Oh, no, no. It would be, I don't know, something else crazy and different. Like She can finger up some amazing situations and some amazing mazes and all that sort of shit. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking she could have like a nice little romantic comedy about her at university with Michael Caine. Oh, my God. No, I'm joking. I mean, no, that is what I was going to do. But since you stole Alan Page, I'll go to Tom Hardy because he did seem like a pretty creative and cool character. Like, I'm sure he has a pretty hilarious, cool backstory that would be really interesting to watch. He's a badass in real life as well. So he lends himself to whether it's in the dream world or whether it's in the real world. So, yeah. And he likes puppies. I've seen a picture of him hugging puppies. Okay. Yeah. What, cool. what about you, Nate? Oh, you know, well, not Alan Page, but uh, glad, glad to see your support for her. And uh, definitely not Leo. I think I'll go with, uh, what would you call him? Well, anyway, Cillian Murphy, only because I want to see a, a revenge flick where he comes back and stabs Leo in the eye for fucking up his life, for <laughs> ruining his company. I think that's I, legit. You got, no, you got no coverage. Like, the poor guy was just a pawn in the whole thing. And, really uh, fucking and like, I want to see some John Wick return and just, you know, Leo doesn't deserve it after that. I mean, I really like that's just me. Like He's when, an e- when they were in there, they were really fucking with his head. Like, really... He'd be coming out just going, oh, whoa, I haven't thought of all these. Yeah, I mean, they somebody... show him his dead father in the in the room and basically <laughs> like mental torture. And then we just leave him like, sunshine and rainbows. Hello, see you at the airport trolley. Split up your company. Playing, for the rest of the time, he'll be trying to play those lotto numbers. Like he'll be thinking, oh, those numbers seem really significant. And they weren't actually. With what money after he splits up the company? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Murphy has got I like this. that guy has a real creepy vibe. Yeah, he does. I was literally about to say that. He's got a real, like, yeah. like just sinister look about him. That, like, yeah, oh, like I'd love villain. to see a one-man army of Cillian Murphy. I think he'd be fucking awesome, yeah. But he's just got those cold, yeah. dead eyes that make you fucking terrified of him. Just, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, he's a good actor, and uh, I think he was he was underused, and he's obviously had other movies. Uh, he wasn't going to be the star in this one anyways. This was Leo's, but... Yeah. Moves us over to question number seven, which comes courtesy of the amazing man that is Dan Brennick. Dan runs the Netflix Swill podcast, a podcast that covers all things Netflix-related. And what Dan would like to know is where would we have inserted the song All the Small Things by Blink-182 into this film? Most of the time I can come up with a good answer for this, but this was just not the film to stick Blink-182's All the Small Things into. Like, oh, I, just... I disagree. Oh, okay. Well, I'll look So do I. I totally disagree. Okay, well, where I would put it, if I had to, was I felt there's the guitar bit at the very start, which has got a kind of good vibe, and I thought that that could be in the car chase scene, like when they're trying to get away, and then as they, I think they slam into something, and Mm. as they hit that, I think that's where the guitar sort of cuts off, and then theoretically the words would then come in and play, but then I'd cut it off and play something else. So this was an obvious one. I was thinking like a Rocky Four training montage situation with uh, all the small things when leo's training is uh what was her name ariadne training uh emma pa- ellen page and yeah i think that's a perfect time to fit that one in yeah yeah that'd really go in seamlessly into the whole movie i can picture it in my head right now and i can't remember what song was playing at the time but it's almost a better 
better visual with the. I don't think small anyone wants play. to know what's in your head right now most of the time, right? Like, well, Michael Caine's got a shirt on. We just saying. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer. And similar to you, like I, I thought of quite a few good places that this could have been sort of inserted. So, what I was thinking though is like a it's almost turning into like a slow melodic acoustic version of it, and it's the bit after Ariadne shoots Mal and she's dying in Leo's arms. And then he's like sort of saying, I've got to say goodbye to you, all that sort of shit. And we could have just heard this like very quiet, like, turn the lights off, carry me home, you know, sort of playing in the background. And then that's the end of Mal. And then Leo goes about his day trying to free Sato. That, that would have been it. That would have been my little. That's nice, but that's also cheating. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'll cheat as much, much more as artistic. Like. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So that moves us over to question number eight. What is it there, Liz? Question eight. What scene from this film will you remember on your deathbed? So all I wrote down for this uh, question was hallway bondage. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll always remember that wondering what the hell is going on when the trailer was released. And then like, there's like all these people tied up with telephone cords and or whatever the hell they are and uh, being shipped down a hallway. That was a creative solution to give them the kick. Well, he's a smart guy in the movie. So like. He yeah. had to think on top of his uh, feet like that. The other guy just drove off a damn bridge. It's like, <laughs> fuck you guys. Speaking of that, I got really confused with that. Which is You got confused? You got confused in this film. Would you let me this, you stupid mean boy? Do you want to know who's a real idiot? And I wasn't going to bring this up in the podcast. It's halfway through watching this. Stacey tapped me and goes, is this based on a, uh, a book or based on a true story? <laughs> I love Stacey. <laughs> hey, wait. Oh, wait. She was watching the film and she understood the whole stealing concept. She she was watching the film. She said, is this based on a book or is this based on a true story? And I turned around and looked at her and I was like, a true story. And she goes, yeah, is this based? Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, so she clicked. She clicked. She She absolutely clicked. I mean, original screenplay. I'm sorry. (laughs) The the one for me is just the city folding in on itself. Like, I know Doctor Strange has since done it as well. But like, just the the visual imagery of of Paris. Basically folding in on itself. That's basically it. That's the thing that, that's amazing about Christopher Nolan's movies. Is it's not The whole thing isn't like Doctor Strange, which was all visual effects. Yeah. It was years later, but it was awesome. But his movies, you know, it's not the whole... The whole movie isn't visual effects, but the parts that are are just awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the city wrapping it on itself is just so surreal. And I remember when that movie came out, it was like... I wouldn't say it was reminding me of the, when The Matrix came out. It was something all new, but it was just like a... You know, the imagery was... was ridiculous having seen the trailer for that made me so keen to go see this movie that while on a trip to madrid i found a, a theater that was playing the film in english with spanish subtitles and went and watched it rather than spend a night out in madrid or go like sightseeing in madrid i went and watched the fucking film <laughs> such a nerd madrid's <laughs> lovely too my I, I was quite excited when you said that because that was the same as me um the the city folding in on itself because Prior to rewatching this film again for the for the podcast, I could barely remember any of it, and all I could really remember was that bit where Paris folds it on itself, and then maybe the buildings falling away at the end, yeah, like yeah. you know the the oh when oh when they turn up in limbo and all the things uh, buildings and cliffs or whatever are fr- falling in on themselves. Yeah, that was all I could remember. So I feel like those were that yeah that that visual beauty was definitely a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. And our next question, which is question number nine. What is it there, Nate? What quote from this film would be the worst thing to hear after having sex? I've got a couple. The The one I'm going to go with is, I'll come back and we'll be young men together again. <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad to me if I heard it. <laughs> what, I'm assuming I've got two young men who are talking to each other. 
This sounds like a very bizarre role play that I don't want to be involved with. That's uh, all I can say. No, no, I'm not. I'm not one of the young men. I have two young men in the room. Yeah, good for you. Who, Lucky you. But for me, who are the it characters? sounds like a very weird fucking role play that I don't want to be part of. What about you, Nate? Oh, mine was easy. Um, it was we need to go deeper. Now, <laughs> was that not from Inception, or was I was I thinking this is another movie, or is this just something I hear too often? <laughs> <laughs> Julie noted. I think I need to warn the uh, ladies I around us tonight if, if I see any ladies hitting on you. Perfect. The poor ladies. Uh, yeah, so I had a couple. The first one I had was, we have no other choice but to continue and do it as fast as possible. Yeah. Because, yeah, that doesn't sound like they're having a really good time. But I think the best one for it all was... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'll stop laughing in a second. Um, I was disappointed that you tried. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that would be such a disappointing leg down. That is great. I was disappointed that you tried. I, I think I would cry after hearing that. Oh, same. That would. I'd probably already cried. Yeah. My yeah. other ones were: Have you come to kill me? I've been waiting for someone. <laughs> Uh, have you come to kill me? Have you come to yeah, kill have me? Have you come? Like, have you got come to kill me? <laughs> I like that one. Uh, moves us down to our final question that can be applied to any film, which was, what is the biggest dick move in this movie? What do you got, Liz? All right, so I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to choose because you already ranted about it earlier. So I'm going for a slightly different route, I think. I think the biggest dick move in the movie was Pete Postlethwaite's uh, character so like the dad of the target just the way he like treated his son and the horrible thing that he said to him when he died like in reality like i just don't understand you see this in all the movies but actually i think it's probably true in real life as well all these super rich ceo dicks and their sons are always this disappointment that didn't do well enough the fuck do you want that guy was perfectly fine like he was a nice boy he was in the family business he was trying hard like Christ! Yeah, but that was what they they got him to say. They that that wasn't his father saying that. Oh that no! Was... But he said the only thing he heard his father say when he was dying was disappointed, disappointment. 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 Yeah. So whatever it was, clearly he was a dick. Like they just didn't get along. And so I think the biggest dick move was the way that Pete Postlethwaite treated his son. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just said fucking Leo. Like yeah. Yep. Oh, you know. I knew you guys would choose that one, so I thought I'll choose something different. He he didn't tell anybody about his uh, marriage problems that led to this uh, having to go to that last level and someone nearly dying. You know, like you think you could bring up how it was going on, right? Yeah. Like you, you just give everyone a little heads up. Like, holy shit! How much do you have to internalize? Let it out, man. So, how did they get out of limbo? They just killed. Once they died in limbo, they woke up, right? Well, no, they had to wake up before they died, I think. Yeah, so they had to jolt yeah. out of there. So Leo was, like, literally hanging on to the last bits of memory that knew that him and Sato had to jolt out of there. Because right. Sato had okay. long forgotten. He was, like, old man who, he was, like, you Yeah, know, I know. Yeah. That's my point. So why didn't he go, yeah, so we're going to fall into limbo. But don't worry, if you get into limbo, shoot yourself in the head. Yeah, I don't think it's that easy. It's like, once you get to that world, you start losing all you know, like fragments of reality and understanding and all that sort of Except shit. Except both of the other two were fine when they turned up. He yeah. seemed to totally know what was going on in Limbo, and so did Ellen Page. So, nah, I think it's a, it's a plot hole. Sorry. Yeah. I don't think it's a plot hole. I think, I think you're I think, a plot hole. <laughs> I don't think Christopher Nolan allows plot holes in his movies. Uh, I'm sure there are. He sure might not be happy about like, it. I've got I, another I, plot I thought hole. that was... Uh, no, not really. That was cornered off okay. Yeah. I, I think that, like... Uh, 
you know, the way whoever was killed or not killed came out. I can't remember all the rules of them. Yeah. Anyway, that moves us on to our personal questions, which are three questions that we asked of this film that we don't necessarily have to ask ourselves. So, Nate, why don't you lead us off? My first question was going to be pretty simple and straightforward. I was just wondering how uh, everyone rated this in comparison to the other Christopher Nolan films. I had to Google to see what other films Chris Nolan had done because I didn't know. And I was actually very impressed because I felt like he had a list of really good hits like all there. The only other one that I've seen is Memento. And I loved that film. In fact, I recommended it today before seeing it, uh, before seeing that it was a Christopher Nolan film. Like it just, I was talking to my beautician actually about films that like you have to think about and make you confused and bloody blah. Yeah, immediately I was like, oh, Memento is a really good example of that. It's one that you have to sort of go and try and work out what's happening and it's good to go back and watch. If anybody thinks we're qualified to be given criticism about a movie, there we go. Head to Google who Christopher Nolan was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What do you want from me, man? I don't know. I've told everyone before. I'm your soul. A TV girl. I, I want your soul. <laughs> yeah, for me, like, obviously, I've gone hyperbole sandwich about this. It's not my favorite Christopher Nolan. I mean, Dark Knight is just, fuck, it's next level. Nerd. Film bro. That's what you're supposed to say. Film bro. There are a, a certain sect of film nerdum that are complete fucking jackass by most accounts. But yeah, no, it's like Dark Knight's probably first. This is probably second. And then I've got a lot of love for Memento and Prestige. They're probably like my third film, third equal. Not a fan of Interstellar or Dunkirk, really. Like they, they were sort of take it or leave it films. But yeah, that, that's basically where I sit on Christopher Nolan. Yeah, it's uh, Interstellar. I, I like that one. It definitely wasn't my favorite Christopher Nolan film. I, I'd say my list was similar to yours. I'd give Dark Knight was just. I just changed superhero films for me. It was just dark. It was a, I, I won't go into that one because I can probably talk about that for an hour. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think that between this, this, but Inception is such a close second that it's just an amazing film. There's hardly anything that I would complain about. Yeah. So th this one, uh, I don't want to be uh, controversial with my question, but uh, if you could design a dream world to incept Donald Trump, what would you have in this dream world? It's it's funny because in this film, they often talk about how people arrive in places and they have no idea how they got there. And kind of symbolic about, the, <laughs> about Donald Trump. About his entire presidency. <laughs> and his entire fucking presidency. But, or, or more that he has no idea what to do when he gets there is probably a fucking, he knows how he got there, but he has probably no idea what to do once he's there. But for me, like, it would have to be one of his rallies and like, there's a whole bunch of liberals there that he just, protesting him and he just fully wrecks bro like fully dunks on those liberals and destroys them and you know but all the ladies in the crowd are blonde and there's like a whole lot of yeah. like fucking junk food everywhere and all that sort of shit you want to get him in like his happiest moment you can so that you can fully just slip in there that just just a moment where you can slip in some bullshit in the back of his head and he'll just like wholeheartedly swallow it because he's in such a pliable condition a hundred percent like see i would just i don't think you'd even need to go down more than one level you'd literally just have one level but I'd have him sitting on his couch watching uh, Fox News and get like uh, Tom Hardy to pretend to be like uh, Steve Bannon. No, no um, the Breitbart guy. Is he the Breitbart guy? Yes, yeah, Steve Bannon. One of those creepy ass dudes that he like listens. Oh, Alex Jones. That's who you'd have. You'd have the info <laughs> guy on the TV being like, Donald Trump is too good for the presidency. He should leave it alone right now and go out and he should try and take over space. He should be the head of the UN. With yeah, like, just give him, no, you don't want him in the head of the UN. Like, we're trying to get him out of politics. No, 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 but you've got so to create a like, world where he's very pliable and you can sort of feed that into him. Oh, he could be like the ultimate cage fighter because he thinks he's all masculine <laughs> and manly, right? So, yeah, you try and get him to, to become the ultimate cage fighter. Sam has given up. I have broken Sam. 
Like, sorry about this, listeners. One moment, please. <laughs> I'm just imagining uh, yeah, Donald I Trump like Conor McGregor at a cage together. <laughs> just yeah. Trump like, oh fuck, I fully okay. got this, bro. I fully got this. Yeah, hundred percent. There's, it's a win-win. Like I would pay to watch that for I, a start, and I'm sure he wouldn't be able to take him out. All the bronzer would be. Uh, he, it would just be slipping off him the whole time. <laughs> That's true. God. True. I have no idea. I'm gonna answer this one. Oh yeah, this was a you know. I think about this in almost every movie I watch, but this one most importantly. Uh, how how was the bathroom situation handled when they were in limbo and digestion in general? Like obviously, you never see people go to the bathroom in movies. You know, there's no using toilets or or anything, but like. Do you think that uh, they just never had to go when they were in these different stages in limbo? Like, because they were just dependent on their body for the previous level? Like, that, you know, if the first level of limbo, they, they maybe went once a week. And then the, down to the last level where they just never had to go. They just never had to eat. And the first level, it's raining because he needs to pee, right? Yeah. So it, it translates like, yeah. So, so it's on time with our digestion yeah. in the real world. So okay, well, like I said, that's fine. Yeah, I, fair enough. I guess that's kind of an answer. Like all, all I, I don't really have an answer for this. All I really know is that if you have a dream and in that dream you see a toilet and you really need to use it, don't use that toilet. Don't you ever use that toilet in your dream? I'm not speaking from personal experience and wet beds, but all I'm saying is that you don't use that fucking toilet. Oh, Sam. Anyway, it moves us over to Liz's questions. Uh, what you got there, Liz? All right. Uh, question fourteen. Do you guys think that the Inception plan definitely worked? Yeah, I think I think it uh, worked. I, I don't think that um, I don't think there was a question. I think he was going ahead with dissolving the dissolving the company after because you know Leo's tactics were strong, as much of an asshole as he was, and I think that he was just so brought down by the end of it. Cillian Murphy was just destroyed as a human being, and uh, he had nothing left, and he was going to dissolve that that company. Yeah, I, but I felt bad for him too. Yeah, same. Like, like I'm with you, and part of me, like, was thinking at the end when he comes out of the plane, and then he sees Cillian Murphy, and they like both look at each other. Whether Cillian Murphy would have gone, that's fucking weird. I just had a dream about that dude, and what she tried to destroy my company. But still, I feel like that idea is just still planted in his head. And I don't know, maybe it's going to turn his mold. That's literally all Cillian Murphy does is like he he like buys Google and he just splits up Google, or he buys Apple and he just splits them up. Like that's all he has in his mind now is just splitting up companies. Like Richard Gere and Pretty Women. Well, because he splits up. Um, that was Richard Julia Gere's Roberts. role in Pretty Woman. No, his yeah. whole job, and he was like a um, liquidator. Yeah. It's a sex joke, Liz. Fuck's sake. Oh my god, Sam! <laughs> Inappropriate. You know, it makes me think, though. At the end of the movie, you know, they were kind of risking it all, just walking around with this guy, looking at them all, like making, yes. them, like having them question that, right? Like, why don't you just fucking wait before, like. Make sure that he doesn't see you. Let him get through baggage claim. Like, Jesus Christ, he's going to see you all. Maybe you get a little skeptical. Yeah. How hard would it have been? Well, I think, though, when, Pace you, yourself. when yeah. you dream, though, you do pull in faces from, like, your recent life and stuff, right? So I could see that. If I think it might have been okay, except that he'd been trained in extraction. So he would know that there was a thing where people could get into his mind through dreaming. So that would make him suspicious. I actually don't know if the inception would have worked, because how much of your dreams do you really remember? And how, you know, like how convincing would that be? Like for you to change your entire life plan just because you had this vaguely nice dream about your dad. And like with no backing from anything else that suggested that his dad was actually felt that way. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I totally had a dream that the earth was flat once and now I've started the Flat Earth Society of New Zealand. You can follow us on Facebook. We have talked about doing the documentary um, on Flat Earth. Behind the Curve, it's a brilliant film. Okay, so... 
other than the buildings folding in on top of themselves, because we've already brought that up, uh, what was the coolest visual effect or scene? I am going to go with the hallway fight scene simply because they that's not CGI. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt fighting another dude in a rotating hallway that they filmed with a fixed cam. Are you serious? Yeah, if you watch the special, of, like, um, watch the go on YouTube, watch the behind the scenes. Behind stuff. the scenes or whatever. It's, it's basically yeah. like a rotating hallway that they set a fixed camera on and then that sort of followed them around in the action sort of thing. So when Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like falling to the ceiling and all that sort of shit, it's just him riding the hallway and then falling downwards and all that sort of shit. That's I didn't want to so bring it up cool. before, but I it's, never yeah. would have thought that. Yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal. You should just watch it and he's, like they trained for days to get used to like walking up the side of the like walls and stuff like that and the roof and like having it timed so that, you know, it rotated slow enough that they didn't, you know, f- properly injure themselves because you very, very much could. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I would totally say the same thing. I think yeah. like no- nothing else to add to that. That was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. And question 16. I thought that the way that, um, Cobb and Mal get out of limbo was insane. Like, is there a worse way to kill yourself to get out of limbo than getting hit by a train? Oh, yeah, there's absolutely worse ways to get killed than yeah, getting 100%. hit by a train. I thought that would be the easiest way. Yeah, that, that sounds like what? a fucking walk like, in the park, man. I mean, if I see a train, I'm just going to ru- go run in front of it, yeah. Exactly. That's- oh, but the dread of it coming up, and then you're going to be all mushed up and gross, and like you might not die you're right not away. Gonna be up. You're I think you're going to die right away. Who survived being hit by a train? <laughs> fucking Iron Man? Like, There's no way that Actually, you're surviving yes, Iron that. Man probably would survive being hit by a train. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, Iron Man did a lot of his if- films. Right. Okay. <laughs> just give me the train. Just run me over yeah, with the train. Exactly. It just it seemed a little great. weird. Like, that was their choice. And it was just, like, I, I guess they did it so that she could say that whole thing about you're waiting for a train, bloody blah, blah. That was, like, the theme in the film of what she said. But, yeah, that's the bit I didn't like, was the, yeah. the train, getting hit by the train and the whole train set of lines. I wasn't a fan. There you go. There's my, there's, I'm taking this back to my negative thing okay. from my compliment sandwich. I finally found something I didn't like in the film. So, moves us down to my questions. Now, this is a question that's been rotating and floating around on the internet for quite some time, and uh, there's been some answers, there's been some almost definitive answers to this, but I want to know from you guys what you think. Was he still in a dream at the end? Was he still dreaming? No, I think he was awake, and uh, I don't know. I I went back and forth, like, was he dreaming, wasn't he? But I think that the uh, all these levels of dreams in 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 that world that he was in was just too complicated for him to construct as a dream. Like, Look at the way that uh, bottom world fell apart. I, I don't think that it could have been constructed at that level and these characters could have been that complex. But I think his wife was dead because she was stupid. Yep. And I think his kids fucking hated him. <laughs> yeah, they were way too excited okay. to see him. Eh? Once they realized who it was, and it wasn't the fucking milkman coming around that uh, was seeing their mom while they were gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, their opinions of him will change. So I've got um, contradictory answers to this question because I think... I think the director wanted you to think that he was still in the dream, not just because of the spinning top at the end, but because his kids were dressed in the same clothes as they were in the memory, and they were positioned in the exact same place on the lawn in the memory. And I just don't think in real life like that would ever happen, that they'd be wearing the same exact clothes, both of them, their hair's the same length. But I don't think he was in the dream. If he was in a dream, then maybe he was just asleep on his way from the airport. And he'd wake up again because I don't think it was like Mel's idea that they were still stuck in this whole dream world because, as Nate said, it wasn't complex enough. And Except it was – sorry, it was too complex. Like as in they were on the plane and then he was at his house. But like in the other dreams, they had quite set things. And so does that mean that he was going to be being dropped back down into another – like it would just – it didn't really work. Yeah. And there was no projections were chasing him. 
None of the other things that indicated that he was still in a dream were happening. Uh, so from what I read, originally Christopher Nolan just sort of wanted you to like come up with your own conclusions. And I think his original intention was that by the end there, he doesn't even care if he's dreaming or not because he's made it back to his kids and that's all that was most important to him. But there's, oh, yeah, okay. there's been some other things like Michael Caine came out and said that if you see him in the film, then they're not dreaming. So we see him greet him at the airport. The other thing too is like the spinning top is quite often sort of touted as being his thing but it's not it's actually his wife's it's miles and and a lot of people say oh, that yeah. his one is actually his wedding ring which we only see him wearing in dreams and when he's out of the dream he's not actually wearing his wedding ring and in that final scene we don't see him wearing the wedding ring and oh, interesting those are those are the those are the main ones anywho on to my next question like we've talked about how much of a shitbag leo is for most of this film and to be honest it almost becomes a little bit of dead weight i want to know from you guys who do you guys reckon was the real mvp from leo's team i gotta go with uh Joseph Gordon, love it. Yeah, like, I think he was the brains. You know, he, yeah, I think that he was he was the smartest. Clearly, and he would second guess Leo a few times and question his authority. But Leo is too much of a dick to really like mm. go away, go with any of his suggestions. See, I'm glad I got you to go first because um, I don't agree. Because I think he was an idiot. Because how did he not click that Mal was this major problem? I mean, she showed up in that first dream. And he was like, uh, what's she doing here? And Leo's like, oh, you know, she's just hanging out with me. And he was just like, okay, seems legit, and just left it there. And I thought, well, clearly the guy's got some serious psychological issues to do with his wife. So for me, the MVP was definitely Ariadne, because she was the one that actually went, uh, I'm going to make sure that things are actually all happening the way they should be in all these spaces. And this wife coming in here is not good, and I, you know, I want to manage things well. And so that's what she went to the next level to try and, resolve the issues or make sure she was aware of what they were dealing with yeah i mean ariadne is probably would probably be my answer as well she was the one that could have sort of came up uh-huh. with these creative <laughs> solutions she was pretty good uh final question for me oh well this podcast wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't throw in one or two personal stories from our lives what's one thing that you guys have done that you wish you could blame on someone else having implanted in your memories one time when i was like when i think of something really embarrassing that i did i managed to put my uh, i was talking to this road crew that were just been doing all this um like roadworks on on my street asking them when I would be able to park my car there again and it was a crew of about eight dudes and they were just packing up for the night and when I was finished chatting to them I turned on my heel and like just put my foot straight down and it turned out there was a deep hole there that they're just filled with wet cement (laughs) and it was still very liquid and I put my leg in literally up to my knee in wet cement and like I was Perfect. wearing stocking, like a skirt and stockings and um, flats. So I was just ridiculous. And oh my God, I just burst out laughing so hysterically. Like I thought the guys would be laughing at me and they were all just standing there like dumbfounded, just, just going like jaws agape. I'm, I'm surprised the eight guys yeah. weren't like, yeah, caught one, boys. <laughs> no, that was, that, that was the funny thing. I thought that they'd all laugh at me or like be like, oh, you're an idiot or something. But they're all just so appalled and like they clearly felt terrible. And I was like, this is not what I expected from you people. Like, laugh at me, <laughs> goddammit. Yeah, that's a nice embarrassing story for you. What about you, Nate? Is there something embarrassing you know. you've done that you're like, oh, man, I wish I could blame that on something else? Uh, so I think somebody incepted me to uh, – I was walking home. Let me set the stage. It was in the middle of winter in Canada. Probably minus 15, whatever it was, normal temperature. <laughs> That's not a normal temperature. Uh, that was, it was bearable. And uh, I was walking home and I lived about 30 minutes from my place to my office. And I thought it would be a really good idea, like the commando, like the unit that I am, to try not to take a piss before I go home. Try and hold it in, not like, <laughs> you know, stop for a break. 
And I, I, I had drank a lot of water that day. And I thought I was good. And, and it was a couple of kilometers. And I was about five minutes from home. And I rounded a corner. And uh, I wasn't as strong as I thought I was. And it was in the middle of busy Toronto. I didn't last. And uh, I was wearing light color blue jeans. And uh, there was definitely, it was major traffic in both directions. You I just wit came yourself. Out. I wasn't a kid. I was 28 years old. <laughs> Holy shit! And I'd... That's unfortunate. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll never remember that. I'll never forget that. You know, I just, I owned it and I walked Good on as you. proud as I could. Fucking embarrassing, I'll tell you that. I feel like we um, need- but isn't it cathartic bringing up how embarrassing And my stories. pants damn and, and the pants damn near froze because it was so cold. Well, that's what I was yeah. wondering. Was your bladder just freeze or something? No, the, ba- the bladder was okay. Or I was like, oh, maybe something else froze. <laughs> it just wasn't pleasant for anyone. That is- anyone who sees me Jesus. walking across the street, there's no hiding it. I had it was a- That is goddamn Anyways, phenomenal. I, I kind of wish that somebody, somebody incepted me. <laughs> Great series there, guys. I don't know how I'm ever going to follow that on this podcast ever again. Nate, thanks for that, mate. That was fucking amazing. That's only the tip of the iceberg, man. Like I, I'm like Chunk from the Goonies when he starts fucking gushing so he doesn't get his arm chopped, chopped by the blunder. Like there's, there's still some things marinating. <laughs> Dried the pants and wore them the next day. <laughs> Oh dear. Anywho, hey, speaking about our Patreons, we have a brand new one, Mr. Nicholas Haskins of the Epics Film Guys podcast. Nick is the man. Epic Film Guys is a fucking awesome podcast. You guys should all be listening to it. It's amazing. Nick loves our show so much that he's also chucked... Yeah, he's a total edge. He is. He's fucking awesome. Loves it so much, he's also chucked an extra $5 to have his question in the first 10. So we've bumped it down to question number 20, so it's something special we can finish on. And so what Nick sort of threw at me was, well, how would a film play out if it was like a Shakespearean tragedy or a Shakespearean comedy? So he basically wants us to re-pitch the ending. So maybe... Something Shakespearean happens to one of the characters, or like the whole film sort of plays out like that. What, what do you guys reckon for a film like this? How would you guys have ended it differently? And by the way, absolutely, we're going to fucking come up with a way worse ending than the film. Oh, absolutely. So let's just clear that off the table. We, there's no way any of us are going to come up with something better. But Liz, why don't you let us off? What, how would you? There's end no it? way. There's no way. That's what I love about uh, this question. You couldn't make it a comedy, not with the whole. You'd have to change the whole <laughs> film because if it ended on like a funny note, it'd be weird as fuck. You totally could. Yeah, you could end it with, like, like, just two, like, I don't know, like, Pineapple Express, like, Seth Rogen, James Franco, one of them just sort of wakes up and is like, fuck, bro, I just had the weirdest dream, man. We've got to stop taking these shrooms, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that would be kind of fitting, actually. <laughs> okay, well, so is that yours? That's your answer? <laughs> no, it's not what it- Imagine if that did happen. Like, you'd just walk out of the theatre and you'd be like, did, did that just happen? What the fuck was that ending? Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no my, my other what the fuck ending that I was going to go with was like, it just goes full Waco. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio just walks into his house and is just like, oh, there's my kids. Yeah, I made it back. And then the FBI just storms the place and just starts shooting people. Like, the worst Shakespearean ending to <laughs> Oh, my kids. <laughs> oh, you could make it that the kids, when they turned around, had like no faces. That'd be really <laughs> Such a fucked up ending. Then you'd be like, oh, okay, he really is still in the dream. But, like, he doesn't notice, and he just goes and hugs them and stuff. I don't know. That was a weird thing that popped into my head. But if you wanted to put one more step of trickery on it, it could be somehow that Fisher knew about it all along. Right. And he actually somehow incepted something into Sato while they were doing the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's how you could do it. I don't know. Like, like he knew he was going to try and make him do that, and he sort of fell for it and stuff. But then it turned out that while he was in the dream with Sato, then he'd said something to him 
that then made Sato like sell his business to him or something. Oh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know how to do it. I told you, I'm no Christopher no, Nolan. Doubleception. What about you, Nate? We're going to turn this into a tragedy or, or something. I, he's just got to descend into madness in uh, another level of uh, level upon level of, of dreams and limbos and complete madness and wake up and just be in this fucking vegetable state. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that could have been cool if it just scanned out at the end and just showed him lying in, like, a straitjacket in a mental hospital. No. (laughs) No, because he would have gone completely loopy from all the things that had happened to him. Uh, Let's leave it to Christopher Nolan and his brother. His brother's the writer on a lot of his films. Let's leave it to those two. Anywho, that takes us down to the end. Thank you to these two for joining me, especially you, Nate. Well done on your first podcast. Congratulations. Welcome to the Movie Reviews. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you did a very good job. That's good. All, all these years of doing nothing but watching movies has finally paid off to contribute to a podcast here. Fucking A, brother! Not, <laughs> not sarcastic here. I, I, I need it. <laughs> yeah, you actually sound like you knew what you were talking about sometimes. It was very impressive. Unlike me, because I don't have a fucking clue. That's true. Uh, speaking about not having a fucking clue, you are coming back on our next week's episode, Aunt Liz. You're coming back to do Tenant with the wonderful man Topher. that is Topher from We Watch the Thing that we mentioned before. We are following one Nolan film with another. Excited? Yeah, I am now. I wasn't before. Like the, I, I watched a bit of the trailer, I think, ages ago when it first came out, and I was just kind of like, oh, this is a bit weird. Like, I didn't quite click that it was him and that it was the same director as Inception or yeah. whatever. But now, having rewatched Inception... And like knowing what other things Christopher Nolan has done, I'm like, mm, actually, this is going to be pretty good, I think. Anywho, uh, yeah, other upcoming, Can't wait. other upcoming episodes is M from Verbal Diorama is coming on to do Pacific Room with me and Liz. Pretty much looking forward to that. She's awesome. And to her podcast, Verbal Diorama, everyone should go check that out. It's cool. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can yeah. get a hold of us on email at mritqs at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. Or you can find us on Twitter at Movie Reviews In. Anyway, that's thanks for me. Thank you for me. I had such a good time. And thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs> but then every so often, when I get to the top of Mount Everest, Tom Hardy is waiting there shirtless. <laughs> so it makes it all worth it. Uh, if any of our listeners are mental health professionals, can you please contact us on mratqs at gmail.com and I'll forge you on this contact detail. I, I dated a girl that didn't believe in dinosaurs, but she wasn't. She wasn't pregnant. She was just stupid. Read those fucking lines. You got books on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read I the two inches at the bottom of your shelf. screen. It's fucking. It's pretty easy. I do. Find it's just two inches. It's just two inches. It doesn't really count. It's just two inches. So I find actually because I'm quite a fast reader, so I read the subtitles really quickly. I'm ignoring you, by the way, you dirty boys.